chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Before we get into the message, Chris, you want to put up the slide, please? <clears throat> uh, those of you that are on Facebook, you follow the church page on Facebook. Uh, I put this up on the church uh, website or uh, Facebook page this morning. It says, what if we all went to church an hour early and prayed for a revival? And uh, what, a, what a challenge. Amen? Uh, well, we have a revival coming up in just a few weeks. And tonight at 5 o'clock is our first prayer, uh, uh, prayer time for revival. So I'm asking you to come to church an hour early tonight so that we can pray for revival. Because revival does not just happen. Revival is prayed down. And, um, and you can look throughout history uh, of different revivals that have taken place throughout the world. And every time, every time, prayer is an integral part of revival. In a, in, in a, in a, in a large revival or even in a personal revival, prayer is the key. So let's come together tonight at 5 o'clock. Let's pray for revival. <clears throat> Thank you, Chris. Uh, Matthew chapter 21. Um, <clears throat> this morning, uh, I need to keep it short because we, we have done so much this morning. Uh, so I'm going to keep it as short as I can. Um, but we're going to look at two parables this morning. Uh, these two parables are back to back. So uh, they each have their own story, but the, they, they both have the same message, if that makes sense. Uh, Jesus tells a parable and then immediately tells tells the second one. We're going to look at both of them this morning. But there's a basic truth involved in the parables this morning. And that and the basic truth is this. You cannot advance in learning until you grasp what you've been taught. Let, let, let me say that again because this is really important. You cannot advance in learning until you grasp what you've been taught. I remember when I was in high school, uh, uh, in algebra, more specifically in, in uh, high school, we had to solve problems. And they would, by the way, how many of you liked algebra? Okay, I, I'm in a minority. Okay, we're, we're in a minority. Okay, uh, to me, I ended up actually dropping out of algebra 3 because it was too easy. Uh, in high school. Uh, I was bored with it. It was just way too easy. Um, but what was, what was the deal with algebra? Now, don't talk about English because English, yeah, don't even go there. <clears throat> um, but what, what is about algebra? Al the, the, the thing is, the teacher was not so much concerned that you got the right answer, but what? But it was how you got there, Okay. Because if you, if you, it really, if you, if the path that you took to answer the question was right, then the answer was right. <clears throat> but they didn't necessarily grade the answer. What did they want? They wanted to see that you knew what you were doing. Why? Because they knew that they, you couldn't advance to the next formula until you got this formula right. And the same thing goes with English. 
um, all the, the prepositions and pronouns and all that, all that garbage. Um, oh, I shouldn't call it that. Excuse me. I have, I have said we have sensitive ears in here. Um, but I cha- I was incredibly challenged in high school with English because it, it, it didn't make sense to me because why do I need to do that when I can just talk it? Right. Um, but it's the same principle, though, in English as it is in, in algebra. If you don't understand the formulas, you can't advance through. And that is the same thing happens in our lives spiritually. If we do not grasp spiritual truths, then the Holy Spirit cannot give us more spiritual truth. Hello? Does that make sense? James chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1 says, and let me, let me stop here and let me explain something. Yesterday, I had a, one of the worst migraines I've had in months. So today, my brain is not clicking on all cylinders. So if I make some gaffes this morning, particularly in my reading, Please cut me some slack, okay? I'd appreciate it. James chapter 3 and verse 1 says, My brethren, um, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. So what is is the half-brother of Jesus trying to tell us here? Hey, the, the more knowledge we have about the truths of the Word of God, the more accountability we're going to have. Is that correct? That, that's what he's telling us here. In James chapter 4, in verse 17, it says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So, in other words, if we don't, know, if we don't do what we know, God's going to hold us accountable for it. The title of my message this morning is Rejecting Truth. Rejecting Truth. The religious leaders of Jesus' time had rejected truth. And Jesus was uh, unable to give them more truth because they had already rejected truth. In our passage this morning, we're going to read that. Well, let's just go ahead and read it. In Matthew chapter 21, uh, let's start reading in, in verse 23. And when he had come into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you a thing, or ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I will... I, I, in likewise, will tell you by, the, by what authority I do these things. So in, in verses 23 and 24, Jesus is in, he, 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 uh, encounters some Pharisees and they ask him, hey, where do you get the authority to do what, you know, healing and, and all the things that you're doing? What, who gave you that authority? And Jesus says, you know what? I'll answer that question if you'll answer my question first. 
This is the question Jesus asks them in verse 25. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe, believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. We ask that you would bless this time together, that you would challenge our thinking, that you would challenge our hearts, and that, Lord, that you would help us to know truth this morning. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. They had rejected the truth of John the Baptist's preaching. It it was as simple as that. In Luke chapter 7, verses 28 to 30, it says, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that (coughs) is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans uh, justified God being baptized uh, with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, uh, being not baptized of him. So Jesus very carefully here, when the Pharisees come to him and ask him a loaded question, so to speak, Jesus turned the table on them and and created a very uh, clever trap, if you would, for the religious leaders because he knew that his goal needed to be for them to answer the question so that they could see for themselves what they had done. So let's look at the problem. The problem here is very clear. Let's start reading in verse 28. But what think think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented, and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? And they said unto him, The first. So basically, you have a story here of two sons, a father and two sons. The, the 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 problem here is very very clear it's simple if in the previous exchange had the pharisees said that his authority had come uh, or that that um uh, uh jesus's question here 
uh, uh, from uh, the baptism of John, whence it come, if they had answered heaven, then they were kind of in a pickle because then they would have to recognize that John's authority came from heaven. And then Jesus would have said something to the effect of, well, then why did you reject him? The second part of the problem is if they had said, well, his authority came from men, then they feared the people because John was a prophet and the people knew it and they loved him and respected him. And there, there would have been an uprising of sorts, if you would. So they feared the people. So what did they do? They come up with this, this answer. Basically, saying, we don't know. Well, that's not true, though. But if you read, if you read what they said, they said, we can't tell you. So what is that, the implication of that? The implication is we know the answer. We're just not going to tell you. How many of you teenage parents know that feeling, right? <laughs> The people were looking for truth, but they weren't finding it in the religion that the Jews were offering. Isaiah had not only prophesied the coming of Christ, but he had also prophesied the coming of John the Baptist. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses uh, uh, 3 through 5, it says that the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, uh, prepare ye the way, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain uh, and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. They knew, the people knew, that John the prophet was a prophet prophesying the Messiah, and that they knew that the Messiah was, was coming right behind him. They knew this mainly because of Isaiah. And the people received the message. So they were the, the, the Jewish leadership was, was fearful of saying, hey, his authority came from heaven. Question. Why did Jesus, at the end, why did Jesus not reveal the source of his power or his authority? Was he trying to keep it hidden? To be perfectly honest, it wouldn't have mattered. Because they had already rejected the, the truth that John the Baptist had brought. And had, had Jesus said, hey, I get my authority from heaven, do you think they would have said, oh, that's great, thank you. No, they would have rejected that truth too. See, they had, there was no point in Jesus giving more truth because they had already rejected truth.
Jesus, or, or let me rephrase that, God only gives us truth in our lives when we accept the truth that he's already given us. How many of you have ever written or read the Bible, a portion of scripture that maybe you've read many, many times, and you come across a new truth? And, and, and the only thing you can do is say, wow. See, that's God giving you new truth. But see, he doesn't do that if we reject truth. There's no point. There's no point in giving more truth because we're just going to reject more truth. And the more we know, the more we're held accountable for. So, the two parables. We, I, 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 we, we just read the one, uh, the, the two sons. Um, <coughs> excuse me, the parable, the parable of the two sons, uh, point number two. Um, th- this parable is, 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 is really easy to understand if you understand parables. But anyway, um, the vineyard in the story here, the, this, this father goes to his two sons and he says, hey, he goes to the first one and he says, hey, go work in my vineyard. And the, the first son, being honest, says, no, I ain't going to go. But then he, you know, he thinks about it. He's like, yeah, well, I probably ought to go to work. And so he goes, he goes to work in the vineyard. The second son says, yeah, Dad, I'll be right there. But he never shows up. And he asks the Pharisees, he says, which one of the two sons did the right thing? What was their answer? The first one. Why? Because he went to work. So the vineyard represents Israel. Okay, uh, uh, in, in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, uh, vineyards oftentimes were, were symbolic of the nation of Israel. The two sons in this, in this parable represent two classes of people, the, the, the sinners and the self-righteous. Okay, the first son is representative of the one who, uh, the one who refused to go and who changed his mind is representative of the the one who is rebellious but then changes his mind and becomes obedient. The second son seemed to be obedient but turned out to be rebellious. So he's the one that looks good on the outside but not on the inside. After telling the story, the, this parable, Jesus forces them to commit to an answer. And then once the answer was, was made, Jesus answers or gives the solution to, or, or the, the, anyway, let's read it. Verse 31, about halfway through the verse, it says, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots 
go into the kingdom of God before you. And John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, <clears throat> uh, uh, re repented not afterward that ye may that you might believe him. So here you have the answer to the solution. And that is that Jesus here makes a distinction here between the two sons. And then he calls the, the first son, he, he likens them to the publicans and the harlots. Two, two people groups within the Jewish society that were absolutely despised. The Jews hated the, the publicans and they despised the harlots. <clears throat> but he says to them, they will go to heaven before you. Think about that. That, that was quite a statement. Later in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28, Jesus says this, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, uh, hypocrites, for um, you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful on the outward, uh, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So what was Jesus, here in Matthew chapter 22, what was Jesus trying to tell these Pharisees? Hey, you know what? You're like the second son that says, oh yeah, dad, I'm going to go to work. But he doesn't go. He looked good on the outside, but he was rebellious in his heart. And what is, the, what is the one thing that Jesus is after in your life? He's after your heart. And the first son represents somebody who has a change of heart. Somebody who, who at least he was honest and saying, no, Dad, I'm not going to go. But then he has a change of heart and he says, okay, I'll go. See, Jesus is far more far more concerned with your heart than he is your actions. Now, should we act right? Absolutely. But Jesus looks on the heart. And so often, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it preached so many times, do this, do this, do this, do this. No, live like this is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants your heart. And if your heart is pure and right, then you will live like that. That's what Jesus wants. So, now let me stop here because I want to I want to clarify something just just to make sure everybody understands. Jesus loved the Sanhedrin, or the Sanhedrin is a fancy name for it's a collective name for all of the religious and political leaders within the Jewish society. Jesus loved the Sanhedrin. Even though 
they were lost. They were they were unscrupulous. They were self-seeking. Jesus still was going to die for them. He loved them too. And so often we can read verses like we just read in Matthew 23 where Jesus just scathes them. But he does that in a loving way to try and get them to see their need of change within their heart. Not just the change on the outside, but the change from within. Jesus desperately wanted them to, to be saved. In fact, <clears throat> as we, uh, as we look, if you look in the book of Acts, many of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all of the priests and all, a lot of them did get saved. A lot of them did accept Christ as their Savior because they recognized the need of the heart change. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commanded his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a good thing that Christ died for us <laughs> while we were yet sinners because if, if he waited until everybody had, had become righteous, we'd all be in trouble. But the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Pharisees here, had rejected the truths that John the Baptist had, had presented. Number three, point number three, the parallel, the parable, <clears throat> excuse me, the parable of the wicked tenant. Let's read verses 33 and following. It says, here another parable. So right on the heels, I mean, he doesn't even take a breath. He, he tells this parable of the two sons. Boom, he goes into another parable. Here another parable. There was a certain household uh, which planted a vineyard. Again, the vineyard. What does the vineyard represent? Israel. Okay. Uh, uh, and and hedged it about and and digged uh, a wine press in it and built a tower <clears throat> and let it out uh, to husband husbandmen and went unto a far country <clears throat> uh, and when the time of the fruit drew near he sent his servants uh, to the husbandmen and uh, that they might receive the the fruit of it and the husbandmen took his servants and beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more uh, than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent one unto, unto them, his son, saying, They will uh, reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. And when the Lord thereof uh, uh, of the vineyard uh, cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? So he 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 ends this with with asking the 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 religious leaders, okay, what is what is 
the Lord of the vineyard going to do when he finally comes? After, after beating up and killing some of the servants that he had sent, and then he sent his own son, do you start to see parallels here? Okay, just so you know, again, the, the, the vineyard represents Israel. The, the household or the, the landlord is who? God, okay, God the Father. Uh, the husbandman or the, the renter of the land is who? The, the Sanhedrin or the religious leaders of the, war, of the, of the time. Who are the servants that, that, the, that, the, the, that God had sent? Prophets. And if you, if you know anything of the Old Testament, many of the Old Testament prophets were, were physically abused and even killed. So it represents that. Mark chapter 6, verse 27, and immediately the, the king sent an exec, uh, uh, executioner and, and committed uh, his head, John the Baptist is the person uh, this verse is about, uh, to be brought, and he was, uh, uh, and he went and beheaded him in the prison. I'm sure Jesus is referring. I, I don't know, but I'm. I would assume that he is referring to John the Baptist here. Just saying. <clears throat> then, who is the son in the story? Christ is. It's Christ. So this is the story that's laid out in this parable. God. God actually reminds the people of his goodness. Why? Because the, the vineyard had been fruitful and, and profitable for the, the person who was renting it. God's blessing was still being poured out on the land. And the, <clears throat> the, the people who were renting the land, so to speak, were getting rich and they didn't, wanna, they didn't want to forfeit any of the money that they were making. So every time the servant came or the prophets came, uh, they would they they would kill him or beat him up and send him away. And then they, when he sent his only son, they killed him. An incredible picture for this group of religious leaders, but they still didn't quite get it. Look at verse forty-one. So when Jesus in verse 40 says, what, what, is, what is he going to do when he returns? And verse 41, he says, They said unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out uh, of his uh, vineyard unto another husbandman, uh, which shall render him the fruits of their, of, their, of their seasons. In other words, they say, you know what? He's going to bring with him an army and is absolutely going to destroy him and then he's going to find someone else to rent the property and, and who is going to do it the right way. But Jesus once again reveals the parable to them. Look at verse 42. And Jesus said unto them, Did ye never read in the scripture? Now, now that's a scary in, uh, opening sentence. Okay. <laughs> Did you don't you remember reading this in the Bible that the stone which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner this is the Lord's doing and it is a <clears throat> marvelous in our eyes 
Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, uh, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him into powder. And the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parable, and they perceived that he spake of them. Verse 46, But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. Jesus shares with them a stark reality that they were not expecting. Jesus actually quotes from Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. The stone which the builder refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The stone oftentimes in the Old Testament is a prophetic statement referring to the Messiah or to the Lord. And they knew that. Especially when he says, don't you remember reading in Scripture about the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected? And then they started putting the pieces of the parable together in their minds and started to realize that they were the ones in the parable that had leased the land and that had killed the prophets and beat up the prophets and ultimately would kill the son. And they started putting all these pieces together. The stone, like I said a moment ago, oftentimes was a prophetic statement. The stone to Israel was a stumbling stone. In, he, in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, And he shall be uh, a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both of the house of Israel and a gin, and for a snare uh, to the habit, habit, inhabitants of Jerusalem. For many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and, they, and be snared and be taken. What did hundreds of years previous to this encounter here in Matthew, Isaiah prophesied that Israel and Jerusalem would stumble over the stone. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Greek and uh, Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. In other words, Christ is a stumbling block to anybody who doesn't believe. Why do you think the world that we live in rejects Christ and rejects Christianity? Because it is a stumbling block to them. It, it causes them heartache 
because they want to live their lives one way, but Christ says, no, you need to live this way. It becomes a stumbling block for the lost. And here, specifically in this parable, we see <clears throat> Jesus telling the story of the, of, the, of the vineyard. And the Pharisees realizing that they are the, that, that Christ is a stumbling block in their lives. Scary place to be. But for the church, for the Christian, I'm here to tell you, he is our firm foundation. Hence our, our theme this year. Christ is our firm foundation. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation that he that believeth shall not make haste. In other words, if we put our faith in Christ, he is no longer a stumbling block, but he is our firm foundation. Praise God for that. The, 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 the religious leaders had started to recognize and realize that Jesus was pointing at them and saying, you know what, you're the builder that rejected the cornerstone. Now let's bring all this together in closing. I want to I want to wrap this up and we'll be done. First, the first parable they rejected the father, right? The second parable they rejected the son. You see a pattern here? There was no reason for Jesus to answer their initial question because they had already rejected truth. Periodically, I will be asked by someone, how can I make somebody believe the Bible? How, how can I make them believe it so that they, so they will get saved? Well, the reality is this. Until they accept the truth of the Word of God, you're not going to make them do anything. They have to accept that truth. They cannot move forward spiritually until they take the first step spiritually. And the same thing goes in our lives because there are times in our lives that we get to certain points in our lives and we just put up walls. And we wonder what, what happened to God. And God says, tear down the wall and we'll go further. See, we need to understand the very simple principle that has been being taught through all of this. God will reveal truth when we accept truth. What a precious picture. So here, let me give you four takeaways that I have. These are my takeaways. Number one, always be ready to receive truth. No matter what's going on in your life, be ready to accept truth. Because if you will accept truth, God will keep giving you truth. The second thing that I have, my second takeaway, remember that truth doesn't always look 
the way we want it to. Oftentimes we want to serve God on our terms. And, and God says, okay, you can live like that, but my truth is my truth. His truth never changes. And we need to understand that there are times in our lives that God's truth in our lives doesn't always match what we want it to look like. That we need to be willing to say, okay, God, have your way in our lives. Third takeaway. Don't allow truth to become a stumbling block in your life. Just because truth doesn't look like the way you want it to, don't reject it. Accept it. And then the fourth takeaway. The truth of God will set you free. Let me close with this. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I want to I pick up on a really key word here. Because a moment ago, I said the truth will set you free. But that's not what the verse says. The word make. The truth will make you free. Big difference. Are you, are you willing to accept God's truth in your life? If you are, be prepared because it may not always look like what you want it to. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I am so thankful and grateful that you have given us truth in your word and that you've given us truth through your son. And Lord, help us to never take for granted the truth that you've given us. Help us to always, always put a priority on the truth that you reveal. Help us never to allow truth to be a stumbling block. With every head.